Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group. We have a roundtable with our partner, Veteran Advocacy Project. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and today is Saturday, January 22nd, 2022. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a great partner on today, Mr. Brent F. G. I'm sorry, Brent G. Filbert. He is with a piece of Pentagon retired 30 year Navy veteran professor and the director of the military law and the veterans advocacy project. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing good, Sean. I'm doing, doing good, Sean. We have a um, tremendous guest tonight that I'm really excited to uh, start talking with. It's going to be really terrific. That's right. Brent has brought us a panelist and that is justice. Eileen Moore. She is an appellate court judge in California and a Vietnam army nurse. Um, back in the day. Um, Mr. Justice Eileen, I'm going to give you a, a, my best to do a, a good introduction for you. You were at the 4th District Court of Appeals, Division Three, and that's in the sunny uh, California in Santa Ana. And, and you started out, which is interesting, you started out uh, at the Women's College School of Nursing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then you went to uh, change, to pivot from being a nurse, going to nursing, into law. You went to Pepperdine University in Malibu, California to get your J.D., how, to, for, before we get into veteran treatment court, veterans treatment court, I wanted to, I wanted to just get an idea about what made you pivot, and how does that help you in your job today? Oh, what an interesting question! Thank you. Well, I ca- I came back from Vietnam and I walked right into the middle of the women's liberation movement, and there I was, I uh, the daughter of a high school dropout, a nothing and a girl, and all of a sudden I realized that it might be possible for somebody like me to study at a university, and I grabbed for that brass ring, and I never looked back, Uh, and I just went for it. And uh, all of a sudden, colleges and universities around the country opened up to my gender. Apparently, if you were wealthy or if you came from very uh, smart parents who guided you that way you could get into college but not before that and i i went for it and it wasn't until i I practiced law for 10 years and then sometime in well i was appointed to the superior court which is the trial court in california and sometime in the mid to late 1990s the local chapter of vietnam veterans of america called me to speak at some special event for them at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library. And I went out there, and there, off to the side of the auditorium, were three rows of disheveled-looking men in in old, tattered army fatigues. And I said to myself, uh, Vietnam veterans, self-medicated, PTSD. Hmm. And they were there. After I spoke, those three rows of men completely surrounded me and each one had to touch me somewhere they were touching my shoulder my arm Uh, one took his pointer finger and was going over 
the top of my hand over and over again. I can't even remember if they even said anything, but it was as though they were connecting with the fact that I was a nurse. And um, that brought back memories of what the guys were like when they opened their eyes in the uh, evacuation hospital in Quinyan where I was stationed. That is, they took one look at seeing an American girl standing next to them, and they knew that somehow they were connected with home and with America. And that feeling with those men in the 90s who had never gotten past whatever it is that they had to get past made me realize that I had to start getting involved with veterans' issues. Hmm. So give us the birth. When, when did Veterans Court, Veterans Treatment Court actually start? And what was, what was the initial mission and has that mission changed? And how has it evolved? Actually, Veterans Treatment Courts are based on the drug court model. And the first Veterans Treatment Court was in Buffalo, New York. And I think his first name is Robert, but it's Judge Russell. I think it's Judge Robert Russell started the first one. And the second or third one in the country was in Orange County, California. And it was started by a friend of mine, Judge Wendy Lindley. And uh, her at, at the a veterans treatment court cannot exist unless it has some sort of authority to exist. And in California, there are a couple of statutes that allow veterans treatment courts to exist. And the idea is not to punish uh, somebody in the traditional way for uh, committing a crime, but to uh, give them treatment. And veterans are in a peculiar position because most of them don't have any kind of a criminal record before they go into the service. And the recidivism rates for veterans is very low. One study that we did was something like 10.4% recidivism rate for veterans who were successful in veterans treatment court versus somewhere between 66 and 76% of of, uh, non-veterans. So the idea is to put them back on their feet to the, to become to get back to being the good citizens they were before whatever happened to them in the military happened. Hmm. And and so this is successful then. This is something that actually works and something that's been. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it. Can you hear it better? Uh, if you could talk a little louder, I'd appreciate it. She has an audio issue right there. No, they're trying to get that sorted out. Do you hear me better? That better? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell us, walk us through. So, this is something that's, that's successful. It's actually been working, and it's actually made a difference in the veterans' lives. Now, how how is this? What's the what is the next step in this veteran treatment court? Like, what's the new? What is new um, that we can do for veterans today to help them to help this program expand and also to do better for veterans in the future? Well, one of the things that uh, early on there was. Uh, the veterans treatment courts were the only game in town, but as time has gone by, the experts have realized that some people need more intensive treatment than others, and uh, diversion courts have opened up for veterans. And what diversion means is that somebody is arrested for whatever the crime is, and if it's a misdemeanor, they are they never have to see the inside of a court. Well, they, the one, they're ordered the first time they come to court instead of pleading guilty or 
pleading whatever or uh, pleading not guilty, they are sent to a treatment court or, or a treatment route instead of being prosecuted. So they never have to go through any kind of prosecution and they don't have to suffer a conviction. Whereas in veterans treatment court, which nowadays seems to be reserved for more serious crimes or somebody who needs uh, much more hands-on treatment. So a lot of veterans are going by way of diversion and that takes probably a year and a half to two years to get the treatment and they can do that as an outpatient and they never have to uh, have any kind of a criminal record at all. But for Veterans Treatment Court, usually there is some kind of criminal record that will eventually, if there's if the veteran is successful, the uh, conviction and arrest will be wiped from their record. So there is there is some um, some exclusions also too I've read, I've read about. And so exclusions if someone does anything violent, that's an issue. Brent, can you comment on that? Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, murder, child molestation, uh, very serious crimes like that uh, they'll never they'll never see the inside of a veterans treatment court wow now how do you how do you feel about that part of it brent oh that's there's, fine there's, well, yeah i don't want... no, go ahead brent uh, there's a question for us I, I was just curious to get brent involved in the conversation so oh sure oh, yeah I, no i was you were talking I was just, to somebody I was else yeah. <laughs> uh, justice Moore. i think he was asking me so i I was just listening because it's just a fascinating uh, topic to cover. So, uh, Justice Moore, I wanted to, to, to piggyback on that in terms of so the veterans that come into, into uh, veterans court, what, like what's what's the percentage who have issues from their service like PTSD or traumatic brain injury, that sort of thing? Does that make up a significant a portion of the veterans who come into those courts? hundred percent. hundred percent of them have. Mm-hmm either PTSD, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, a mental health issue, or a drug issue as a result of serving in the military. So this road to recovery, I'm sorry, Brent, but the road to recovery, that process, um, how how much of the onus is on the program versus the veteran? So, so what's the, walk me through that process. I, I'm not quite sure what you're getting at. If you could... Uh, Ask that in a different way. So, for example, so a person gets into the program, and there and there there's a process to try to get them treatment versus punishment. So that process to try to get them to treatment, what is what does that process look like? So, what's step one, step two? I'm assuming you get them with a counselor, things like that. Um, how much how much does the veteran? How much responsibility does, does a veteran have as far as because there's a, something I was reading in your in your information you had Goya was was the, was the uh, acronym. You know, you know, basically get off your butt, you know, get off your Nagoya. So that that process over that onus part of the for the veteran actually take responsibility for their actions and for their 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 treatment. Nothing's going to happen unless the veteran invests himself. And it's usually himself. I don't mean to be sexist when I say that there are very few women that have been in veterans court, not because they don't commit crimes, I think. I think it's because the veterans courts are geared towards men rather than towards women. And that's something that needs to be changed in the future. But unless the veteran really does invest himself and for nine years, I uh, acted as a mentor in uh, the first, we have 34 veterans treatment courts in California 
and in the first one, I was a mentor in there for nine years, and I usually mentored the young women who got themselves on the uh, wrong side of the law. But I would be sitting in the back of the courtroom, unlike when I sit as a judge, I'd be sitting in the front of the courtroom. So sitting in the back of the courtroom, I could see their backs. And it was really kind of amazing that I could predict when a veteran would be successful. At first, they would come in and they'd be standing before the judge kind of slouched and maybe exhibiting a little bit of attitude. But as time went by, as the weeks went by, and I'd watch them over and over again, you'd see them all of a sudden standing in a proud at ease kind of a stance with their hands behind their back and it was at that point when they started when their posture started to change uh, it, invariably that's when i knew that they uh, really believed that they could get better and i really think that shame plays a big part in this and they have to get over that feeling of self self-loathing and uh, they have to uh, change the whole way they live so far as exercise and eating right and staying away from the kind of people that uh, that they've been having drinking too much with and uh, taking drugs too much with. Mm. So primarily it sounds like that the big problem is with drug abuse and alcoholism. That seems like the biggest uh, one of the one of the, the common thread through most of these cases seems to be centered around drug abuse and alcoholism. What are some of the, what are the crimes that you typically see that come out of that, that type of alcohol abuse and drug use? Driving under the influence, getting into bar fights, domestic violence. Hmm. So these are, these are, so these are not things that are like really over the top, crazy, like nobody's, I mean, robbing banks and, and committing murders and things along those lines. These are, these are things that, they're basically roughhousing. It sounds in a lot of, I mean, way, domestic abuse is a serious crime. That's something that needs to be addressed and something definitely requires therapy. Um, but they're, for the most part, these are crimes that are not, uh, that are things that you can recover from. Well, back to your comment about domestic abuse. I, I agree with you. But if you have somebody who, who has gone through an explosion and they have traumatic brain injury as a result of that, that's a different, that, that not oftentimes, but sometimes uh, manifests itself with uh, some sort of spousal or partner abuse. But it's a different mechanism that's involved there. All of our Domestic violence laws are based on the idea of a power and control. That is, there's some bully who wants to control a weaker person. But if you have a brain injury that is part of the cause of what's going on, it's, it's not as though it's any less dangerous for the victim. But the treatment for it may involve bringing in the victim and getting the victim to feel comfortable and having the family and if there's kids involved, having the kids, uh, having the whole family involved with treatment together rather than our traditional way of separating people and uh, having uh, stay-away orders. So what are some of the penalties that, that veterans do? It's like you mentioned, sanctions and some of the literature and things like that. What are some of the penalties that veterans do suffer um, 
if they fail the program or maybe maybe they don't they don't hold up their end of the bargain what's the recourse for them well it's really interesting because early on the the first domestic uh, the first veterans treatment courts were uh in 2008 and early on the uh if somebody were to uh violate a court order whatever whatever it was maybe don't don't leave the state and they go to Las Vegas, or maybe if on the East Coast they might have gone from Philadelphia to Atlantic City or something, and they violated the court order, judges usually put them in jail overnight, a night or two, so that they would quickly get to know you can't violate a court order. But they found that that was kind of a, first of all, it, it's a cruel thing to do sometimes if it, if the addiction is the thing that's driving the veteran and they're still they they still are addicted. Uh, if the violation involved uh, not taking medication and the veteran is sent to jail, sometimes the Americans with Disabilities Act is involved. If they if they're sent to jail and they can't go to work the next day, then they have to tell their family and their friends, and there's embarrassment and they're mixing in with real criminals when they go to jail and. Um, there's a terrible sense of shame that comes back. And so as the years have gone by, the courts have learned that something less than jail is more appropriate in most instances. Uh, If the violation is relatively minor, perhaps having the veteran write an essay and read it uh, in open court, or maybe a fine would be imposed, and sometimes more frequent court appearances uh, would be required or community service, but something that's not so obviously a punishment. But the opposite of that is very effective. That is, if the veteran performs very, very well, then doing something, and for example, if the veteran has had no problems and done everything that they should have since their last court appearance, it's a very common in a veterans treatment court to have everybody applaud hmm. because they're so proud. And there's wow. a spree de corps in these veterans treatment courts. That is, they're all veterans and the mentors that are in there with them. And there's usually a mentor sitting down next to the veteran who's gotten himself in trouble. And all of them are veterans, and they all want everybody else to succeed. Hmm. So, uh, and every, perhaps the court might have a drawing, and uh, volunteers have sent in uh, gift cards for Starbucks or Amazon or something like that, and they'll have a drawing. And they feel so important when they're, they've, they followed all the rules, they get to have their name put in the hat, and if their name is drawn, they, it's just kind of fun to, Uh, so court is an enti- veterans court is an entirely different experience than your traditional courts. Could you see this is in a perfect world that model being transferred over into more other just types of court? Like could we see this in traffic court? Could we see this in, in other criminal courts? Absolutely. In fact, nowadays we have um, let's see DUI courts, homeless courts, mental health courts. Uh, one court has something called a WIT court, and that's whatever it takes. Mm. So this kind of model that is 
we're throwing people in, we're incarcerating them because they're addicted. And all they do is meet real criminals once they're incarcerated. And I, I can see where this veterans treatment model will uh, translate very nicely into a lot of other areas so that we can clear out our jails and prisons and as much as possible and have the really serious criminals, the only ones in there. Yeah. I think that's definitely important. I see, I see, I I do see hope and I see some great things coming out. This, this today, the show, we had four guests on today. We're going to have four guests on today. And what they were talking about here in in Chicago was using uh, research, getting the data from these treatment courts to actually compare that with real university data to create programs and help, try to solve problems, not just in the back end of it. So when the person commits a crime or commits the trouble or whatever, with a nuisance, or whatever, and they get into a program, how do we get ahead of it to stop, stop it from happening in the first place? And I think looking at the solution part of it, seeing what the problems are in the beginning can help us figure out what do we need to do beforehand so the problem doesn't actually start. You know, I think that's a really great thing. So Brent, do you have any final words for us? Um, no, I just would just one just ask uh, Justice Moore. Um, just what do you see in terms of the future of, of uh, uh, veterans courts? Are they going to continue growing? Is it going to uh, be something that we're going to see more and more of? We got thirty seconds. Uh, I would like to see. I would like to see veterans courts geared, perhaps even separating the genders, but geared more towards the needs of women. The, these military uh, sexual abuse cases are going on day in and day out in the military, and women are getting terribly abused. They're uh, retaliated against if they don't report it, and I would like to see our courts more responsive to that. Thank you, guys, for joining us. This is America's Heroes Group, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.